Yo, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Drew Tan, and today uh, we've got our couple of special guests with us. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, this is your friend and also guest slash co-host, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is Zach, decidedly not the co-host, just uh, kind of along for the ride. This is Alexander, the host of this Zoom meeting, but have no hosting abilities regarding the podcast. So I'm just a guest here. <laughs> we got our homies Zach and Shanis with us in tow once more. Today we are going to continue our recommendations series. Albert, what is our topic today? So, after going along with uh, the recent series of uh, recommendations that we've had, uh, and after some discussion, we decided that today we would be recommending philosophy comics. So, um, just for those of you uh, who are listening and who want a clear idea of what that uh, encapsulates, uh, I'm going to read the Wikipedia description of philosophy. So, philosophy is the study of general and fundamental questions about existence, knowledge, values, reasons, mind, and language. Such questions are often posed as problems to be studied or resolved. So, we're going to be just recommending comics that explore these fundamental questions. And, uh, yeah, we, I, I, I'm uh, looking forward to, to what we have to offer you guys. Um, does anyone have anything they want to add to that uh, uh, descriptor? Yeah, I think um, that's, that's a pretty solid description. That 90% covers it. I would just add that um, usually, usually the pursuit of that knowledge, I mean, if we're speaking in philosophical terms, is uh, pretty rigorous, pretty academic, um, systematic. Um, what I mean by that is there's uh, usually a lot of a lot of tools as far as uh, logic are concerned and a lot of systems of logic uh, that are usually applied in, in going about seeking out things like that. Um, you know, for instance, if you study something like Descartes or Plato or Aristotle or, um, or Kant, like they all had uh, a system that they applied to arrive at the conclusions that they arrived at. Okay, that's that is um, absolutely true, and um, I, I I feel like I need to clarify to our listeners that I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm not a philosophy major, <laughs> so um, I'm not even a you philosophy know, minor. <laughs> oh yeah, me neither. That's true, but so you know this is uh, a little bit. This is going to be kind of us just uh, forming our ideas of what's what philosophy means to us and how it's expressed in comics. So I do think it's going to be an interesting uh, podcast just because um, I feel like this is another example of comics that we've chosen that kind of speak to our individual personalities well, I guess all of our recommendations are like that, but it's an insight into what our worldviews and our outlooks are 
Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, agreed. I would just uh, sort of continue your train of thought, what you were saying, like, you know, none of us are scholars. <laughs> none of us are like uh, PhD philosophy majors or anything like that. Um, so I'm quite the opposite. I deliver pizzas. <laughs> Come on, man! Don't don't disrespect pizza delivery boys like that. How you how you gonna act like pizza delivery boys don't know nothing about anything? I'll tell you what. I deliver bad pizzas. They have fingernail clippings in them. <laughs> okay, you have uh, corrected me, and I am humbled by your assertion. I have wow, no response nice. to that. He obviously knows a lot about pizza. Um. <laughs> But, I am you know, the Socrates of pizzas of pizza <laughs> delivery. <laughs> so you know, all the, just saying, all the uh, philosophy students out there, uh, please don't crucify us for this. We're you know, we are just uh, humble podcasters. We don't know everything there is to know about philosophy, but um, you know, we'll just do. We the do best know all there is to know about comics, though, and that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I may not know everything there is about Rene Descartes and dualism, but. <laughs> I know a lot about Batman. <laughs> well said, Drew. That's what counts. Two faces dualism. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see now? This is the level of discourse. <laughs> uh, you have anything to add, Shanus? I think. No, not this time. Um, so before we move on to uh, our, our recommendations, I, I want to just put it out there, uh, but generally, how do you guys consume your philosophy? Like, yeah, like um, just, does that question make sense? Or is it a little yeah, I get what too you're vague? Asking. I think I get what yeah. you're asking. Um, I yeah. have to admit, I don't quite get it. Drew, if you can uh, put it in more articulate words for our more refined listeners, I would <laughs> very much appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know if I can rephrase your question in more articulate ways, but I can answer your question, and maybe this will uh, help shed some light as to what the what you actually mean and you can correct me if i completely misinterpreted your question but for me okay. i would say that in terms of consuming philosophy and, and learning about philosophy I, I think most of that typically happens in school um you know obviously especially once you get to high school if you're taking like more um advanced english classes you're going to start uh you know learning about philosophers and and the different texts that were written that are notable and then if you go to university or just college in general you'll probably learn more in your classes there and I think that's where I learned about philosophers whether it's it's stuff like Descartes or or Kant um, even you know like Socrates Plato Aristotle and and just figures like that. Um, ja Rule. Ja Rule. <laughs> the, you know, the, the philosopher of our, of our times. He, ja. he speaks for our generation. <laughs> what about Ja? Ja. Any, anytime anything significant happens 
in the country, I, I definitely have to find out what Ja Rule thinks. He is the reason I ask myself every morning, what would I do without my baby? Yeah, the thought alone would drive me crazy. <laughs> do you but, guys? But, oh, yeah, I was saying like most of the time uh, when we learn f- about philosophy in a formal sense, I, I think uh, it's in school, unless, unless you're the kind of person who's naturally drawn to reading philosophy mm-hmm. works. And, and, and like, here's the thing, right? Like for us today, we're going to be talking about comics that are and, and the philosophical element of our comics. And I don't know, I'm not familiar with everybody's pick here. So, um, but I, from what I would imagine, I think most of, for most of us, our picks are uh, works of fiction that happen to have uh, some kind of major underpinning or element of philosophy that qualifies the comic for this topic. Um, but a lot of, uh, media in general, stories that we consume, fiction that we read, or movies, films, uh, TV that we watch, um, probably even music that, that we listen to. You know, everything has some kind of underlying philosophy. Um, yeah. Not everything, but most things. <laughs> you know, you know there, there are some things that are probably just too dumb. But I think most, most things, most works of art have some kind of underlying philosophy be- behind them but we yeah, just yeah. may not necessarily think of them. Maybe even the people that made them, they're not consciously uh, trying to, uh, you know, share an agenda or, or promote their views. But, it, you know, every work of art comes from a specific worldview um, yeah. that's going to uh, permeate um, the, the, the work, the, the work itself that, that we consume. And, and, I, and I think just for the general public, and this is no disrespect to, philosophy students or professors or whatever but you know i think most people don't really go out of their way to read classic philosophical works um you know people don't go out of their way to to read the the books that actual philosophers have written they're more likely to to watch a movie that's created by a person who enjoys the the philosophies of you know specific people or 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 classical figures and i think that's how we tend to consume our philosophy like not not just us the four of us but probably like everyone everyone or most people in general you know like you're just going to um read or watch something and then the philosophy that's inherent in that story is going to be how you uh, encounter it and whether it's mm. overt or more more subtle you know that depends on the actual work itself and maybe you you consume something and if it's not a very didactic kind of story you can enjoy the story without even perhaps realizing that you've been exposed to a different type of philosophy. An idea yeah exactly yeah. i was um, so gonna I'm sorry, go ahead, Albert, go ahead. No, 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 you go, feel free, please. Um, yeah, I think, I think Drew is making some really good points there. Um, kind of carrying along with what he's saying and, and actually sort of the flip side of what he's saying. Um, for me, it actually kind of works the opposite. I very much do enjoy reading books and that's where I get um, or have gotten uh, most of 
I guess, quote, intake of philosophy in the past. Um, I just kind of became uh, enamored with it or fascinated by it. Um, I don't know, maybe sometime in high school or, or college or something. But um, yeah, I just I began reading and I just uh, read a lot of books. And that's that's not the only the only way that I sort of take in philosophy, but uh, it is one of the preferred ways. Um, kind of speaking to what Drew's, Drew was saying a second ago, uh, yeah, I mean, there is definitely um, a lot of exposure in, in film and in media and music and all that, uh, but I do find it's easier to sort of navigate that and understand it and sort of critically think about and piece together what it is uh, you're experiencing or what it is you're seeing. Um, you see a movie, right? Like, sit, just throwing out an example, Cloud Atlas. Um, if you've never read Nietzsche, there's some stuff in there that might not make as much sense to you as it could, right? Or, and I'm not saying this is philosophy, but just sort of carrying the point that um, if you've read the original work, it kind of lends more weight to, to what you're seeing. Um, mm. If you've seen Devil's Advocate, but you've never read John Milton, then you're missing out on a whole dimension on which the film is based. So, you know, um, I suppose it can be either or, but I find that a lot of times with different sources or different types of media, um, you are getting a second or third hand sort of interpretation. You're getting the author's vision of, of, what that particular set of ideas means to them and how they want to convey it. So again, just going back to Cloud Atlas, just because I threw that out as an example, um, if you want to take the concept of the eternal return, you can explore that concept via the things that are, that are put forth in the movie, or you can actually go read um, The Spake Zarathustra and, and see the whole thing in context, right? And then look go back and look at the film and be like, okay, so this is where they're getting that from. How are they interpreting it? How are they interacting with those ideas? How am I deciding how I want to interact with the ideas based on, on what I've actually seen from the original, the original source, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's another way that, that something like that can happen. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting. It sort of reminds me of, um, I was watching a, a, a YouTube video and someone was, it's a, it's a YouTube channel I follow called Wisecrack where they do a lot of philosophizing, but um, someone sent them a message and they were asking them about how, how they could get into the works of like great philosophers. Um, the, the, the person that they were specifically asking about was uh, Albert Camus. So, uh, and the, 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 the people on the channel answered, and I thought this was a pretty interesting answer, but they, they essentially said, I wouldn't try to read those works directly, uh, at least not to start, because uh, a lot of those were maybe too uh, complex, like just trying to get in on the ground level, you know? And what they were actually recommending was reading works about those works and 
I, I thought that was a pretty um, interesting way to look at it. It's, um, I was going to add earlier to what Drew was saying that I, I do think it's interesting that I think for a lot of people it's not until uh, probably around high school that they begin uh, giving you these works of literature and posing these philosophical questions. And there's a reason for that, which is that's kind of the point in your life where you're beginning to formulate yourself as a person. And it makes sense to draw or, or to give exposure to young fledgling minds uh, about these bigger questions, even not necessarily to convert anyone to any specific school of thought, but I'd say just just for the sake of exposure so that you can either form your own personal philosophy based on what you've learned or in response to what you've learned, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, it sort of reminds me of the... I don't know. Do, do do any of you guys have a moment in in your youth? Like, do you guys have that moment where you first had like your version of a deep philosophical thought, even if you were, you know, um, even if it it's just kind of it, it seems kind of silly now now that we're like so much older and wiser than we were, but at the time you're like, man, this is so profound. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I, I would I would debate that like maybe we had a more naive uh, perspective of things because we had less knowledge or information about the world around us. I don't think that necessarily makes or invalidates the what we thought was profound back then. It could still very much be profound, just that we may understand it better now. That's true. I mean, hey, there are a lot of people who I'm sure like right off the boat, they're you know they're young geniuses that are far more complex and deep than I am. So I'm not going to, you know, make a blanket statement that completely uh, dismisses that. But, you know, just... I, I don't know if I, I, I guess I'm just saying. I mean, huh? just that we each have, like, I think, well, I think just we might have a different outlook on something. We might just be sitting there one day, be it six years old, 10 years old, or 30 years old, and just the thought crosses our mind and something we just end up, then we just think about it. We play the question. We play the question game. Like, well, what about this? What about that? And we just kind of unravel, yeah. so to speak, a story internally to try yeah. to understand what we understand about our own question. Yeah. I mean, I know. I mean, I don't remember exactly what age, but I definitely know even before I entered middle school, I had existential. I had existential thoughts. I didn't necessarily know how to deal with them. What that meant. I just knew that I had a question and felt. I felt uneasy about the fact that I didn't have an answer that felt like that when I felt I should have. So I just, and I didn't have the tools to think more about it. So it just, I left it alone and I revisited over the years. Um, so in the same, in the same sense, what may have seemed naive back then may still be an unanswerable question, a philosophical question that we can now understand better in terms of like, what am I actually trying to ask? Or what is it that, that perhaps terrifies me about this, this idea? You know, yeah, I, do... I think that's. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Albert. No, no, no. Go, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm just spitballing. Go, man. 
Well, I, I really like the uh, point that Shane has brought up because I think um, to me, I guess uh, some of the most profound questions are also the simplest or can also be the simplest. I mean, a child and an adult can, can wonder or ponder or think about the same question, um, but we'll probably have much different ways of answering it and a much different set of, uh, you know, experiences and mental faculties that we can bring to bear. But I mean, I feel like kids and adults alike probably both ask, you know, are we alone? What is love? What does it mean to be human? Why do we die? Um, it's, you know, we kind of, that's kind of a universal question to ask, but yeah, different absolutely. people at different stages in life have, have different ways of answering that. Um, for me, I think, I don't know, maybe I was like five or six or something, but it, the first time I really remember thinking about, you know, when your parents, you sit down and you have that talk, you know, so-and-so just passed away and you're like, what does that mean? What, what is death? What does it mean when someone dies? And so when I finally understood, like really understood what that meant, um, it, I just had this sort of question that I recall popping into my mind, like, well, if that happens to every living thing, you know, not just humans, but birds, animals, whatever else, everything living dies, then what's the point of anything even being alive in the first place? If it all heads mm. to the same place, then, then what's the point? Um, and I, I remember that question acutely going across my mind then. Um, but even, you know, up through being a teenager, up through um, college, I was still, you know, trying to trying to find an answer to that. Basically, like, you know, what is the purpose of life or what, what has meaning in life? What should we pursue if we only have a limited time, you know? Um, so like I said, it's, you know, things can can start when you're young or you can ask a question when you're a child but maybe sometimes you either don't have an adequate or comfortable answer to it until you reach a certain stage of life and some people um never never discover a suitable answer for them um there's yeah. a great painter uh jackson pollock um who kind of kind of went into a nihilistic spiral like he he had a drinking problem and it ultimately like cost him his life but um he there was this very existential angst uh, with which he he lived his life and he was looking for that 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 answer to the same question of, of what has purpose what has value what has meaning um and that search for him uh eventually just just drove him straight to the end so you know he never found his answer and, and the search consumed him so different people have have different ways of dealing with the same things Yeah, that's totally true. You know, it's just all part of the uh, human experience, right? Yeah. Mm and -hmm. I, I was going to mention that I do think it's interesting that, um, well, I, I brought that up because uh, I was going to say that I think as an example of entertainment that I consumed that, uh, helped me to develop, like, you know, whatever philosophy that I have in terms of how I live my life. Like, one example that I can think of is something like Star Trek. And 
you know, it's it's on the on on a very surface level like observation. It's you know about it's a show about explorers traveling through space. But I I do remember watching that as like a kid, you know, maybe in middle school and. Maybe I didn't realize what I was taking in at the time, but you know those those ideas of like inclusivity and uh, you know the the desire to explore the meaning of uh, existence itself. Like I, I think I, I it's fair for me to say that I could draw like a direct line between you know my personal outlook to some something like Star Trek as an example. So, I, yeah, I was just putting that out there just, you know, to see if you guys had similar experiences. Um, yeah, similar experiences. Yeah, and I, th I think it's fair to say that a lot of the things that we, you know, that we fill our minds with do have some kind of influence over us um, and even our, our outlooks or our, our worldviews. Um, and I guess, you know, there, there are definitely times when you read or, or watch something that portrays ideas or communicates ideas that, that uh, are kind of antithetical to um, your view, your, your worldview at the moment. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of of being able to reconcile that you can enjoy a story for just as a piece of entertainment without being influenced by it in the sense of, uh, you know, subscribing to all of the ideas or, or concepts or philosophies introduced in what you've just consumed, even if it's something that you enjoy, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that that uh, shapes you, um, but it, it, it is hard because there's definitely times when things can shape us um, in ways that uh, we may not even recognize, you know, because our minds are just so easily influenced um, and mm. we're, we're just people that, that uh, you know, the, the more you fill your mind with certain ideas, the more it's gonna affect you is basically what I'm saying and, mm. um, I guess it, it just depends on whatever it is that you like to consume. Uh, those are just things that you want to be, be wary of because you don't want to yeah. just always be so, you don't want to be the kind of person that forms his entire outlook on life based on what TV shows you watch, right? Like that, oh, yeah, absolutely that, not. that would be very silly. Um, and, yeah. and I think for, for most people, um, you know, most people are, I hope most people are, you know, wise or savvy enough to, to see that, you know, not everything in life has to be based on something that they enjoyed in fiction. Um, although, you know, sometimes I, I see stuff where it's like people actually believe in the force, like in Star Wars, and, and like that's the code that they use <laughs> to go by life. You know, that kind of thing makes me feel weird. Like they're not necessarily hurting anyone, I guess. Uh-huh. But it's not <laughs> something that 
<laughs> you know, it just makes me feel uneasy. It's it's weird to me that that somebody would be like, you know, I want to live by the code of the Jedi. Um, yeah. And, you know, like I said, they're not harming anybody. And in a lot of ways, they're probably, it's, it's, I guess it's a motivating factor for them to do more good. Um, so there's, I guess in that way, there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah, I just find that strange or unusual. Social um, and I guess political views in terms of the idea of the self-made person that Objective is not the place of the government to interfere or ask somebody to give a part of what they worked hard to create to somebody else, stuff like that. Well, I mean, I, I was going to respond to what you were saying, Drew, like, but I, I hope that for the purpose of this podcast, like we're, we're going to be looking for examples of philosophical works Maybe they don't have to influence you to take on a new life or, or, or a lifestyle or whatever. I, I would not recommend that, but, you know, uh, we're all products of, or I think, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I do think we're products of our environment to some extent, and I think um, we're affected by our entertainment as much as we are affected by the people that we talk to and as much as we're affected by all other forms of stimulus. So, you know, um, I, I'm hoping that our recommendations are things that at the very least they make you think mm -hmm. like, again, I'm not here to recommend something that's going to like make that that's going to recommend that you become, you know, a nihilist or something like that. <laughs> it's like, you know that that's not the 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 purpose of of this uh, specific uh, recommendation or the 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 philosophy recommendation. Like I I hope that we're just here to give good comics that make us think, and you know don't don't start a commune or anything because of this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I came here with the express intention of convincing everybody that they should adopt the philosophy of whatever book I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess that's just going to depend on your persuasiveness <laughs> as a speaker, Shanice. Oh, no, I'm entirely operating on just um, in, in doing subliminal messages in, in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, at least he's honest, man. Yeah. <laughs> so my choice is by L. Ron Hubbard. It's about Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> So Zenu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, if it gives, if it if it causes the free lunch, I'll go. <laughs> don't, Shanus, don't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Once you're in their databanks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, do you guys have any other uh, thoughts before we, um, you know? go on to recommendations any personal views or feelings just kind of a brief addition to what you were saying about um you know being shaped by our environment or being sort of creatures of our environment um you know it's it's the whole nature versus nurture thing which 
we're not, this show is not about that debate. I just wanted to add the counterpoint as well that in addition to being shaped by our environment, we are also uh, very much shaped by the choices we make and by our reflection on those choices. Um, whatever external stimulus you consume or experience, um, at the end of the day, uh, for one, we make decisions and two, we're responsible for those decisions. But for three, um, part of the way arguably that we form identity or that we experience identity is sort of just trying to reflect on those choices that we make and, and understand um, why we made those choices or, or you know, what the, what the thought process was in, in making those choices. So I think um, maybe that process of reflection hopefully becomes a little bit, a little bit deeper um, as we become more mature. But I think that also figures into it as well. Um, the way that we consume media and the way that we look at media is not just uh, a passive thing, um, but it's also sort of, in a sense, it's sort of an empathetic or a participatory thing where, in a sense, you, you're kind of looking at it and almost uh, putting yourself in the in the shoes of someone in the story or, you know, trying to understand the decisions they made. And there's always that question in your mind of, you know, did I agree with that? Did I not agree with that? Would I make the same decision? Um, how would it play out if I were in a similar situation? So there's always sort of like gleaning sort of um, little, little judgments and things that, that we make in our own lives. So, you know, just, just sort of in addition to what you were saying. I'm down with that. I mean, also, it's, it's nice when you have characters that are that kind of you flush out a sense of their philosophy because you can understand why they act the way they do within the story. Like, and it gives them a distinct personality and take then other characters. Like, it, and that's something that I think I encountered in the book that I'll be talking about. Nice, nice. Well, I guess with that, we should move on to our recommendations. How's that sound to you guys? Sounds good to me, man. Albert, what do you got right. for us? So <clears throat> I wanted to let you guys know that in spite of our vast, vast knowledge of comics, uh, this podcast has been an exercise in just uh, reading uh, or exposing myself to a whole lot more other comics just to uh look for things to talk about for the podcast so um initially i had chosen another book but because i i'm the kind of person who wants to explore all avenues before i commit to any specific uh thing i ended up wait coming is that what you put in your dating profile on your online dating apps uh <laughs> i i don't do online dating what i do is i'll write a note with my characteristics and my uh, body measurements and I'll tie it to a rock and uh, several rocks and I'll just throw it through the windows of women that I am pursuing. Um, <laughs> I have yet to get any dates. <laughs> uh, anyways. So, um, approach. <laughs> a lot of concussions in how I date. Uh, <laughs> A lot of concussions, uh, both giving them and getting them. 
so the comic that I ended up coming across uh, was, it's entitled Labyrinth, An Existential Journey with Jean-Paul Sartre. It's by a writer and illustrator by the name of Ben Argon. Uh, it was published in 2020, and it's published by Abrams Comics and Art. Um, the plot isn't really too heavy. It's actually pretty simple. The, the story starts out with two lab rats, and they're just, there's a white lab rat, and there's a black, black lab rat, and, you know, they do what they do, which is they run through a maze pursuing this cheese, and one day one of the rats stops and asks himself, why am I doing this? What is this all for? And that's essentially the entirety of the comic. It's these two rats conversing with each other on the reason for why they do anything. And it's a deconstruction, or not, not deconstruction, but an explanation of existential, existential, existential philosophy according to Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, per the title. So... Um, they, they talk to each other, and they uh, discuss things like the idea of the other or uh, things like bad faith, and um, I, I, I'll try to go into those a little more uh, later on, but uh, I want to go into why I recommend this comic. Uh, so I want to start off by saying that I've already mentioned that it's not very plot-heavy, and in addition to that, I want to go as far as to say that it's art isn't necessarily too eye-catching either, but I think the real draw for me for this comic is the, uh, the discussion and the educational aspect of it, because uh, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, simply laid out. It's... It's several pages, and for the most part, they're all four-panel comics. And it's just these rats exploring why they do what they do and um, applying the uh, lessons of ex existentialism as an explanation to why they do what they do. Um, and, you know, me, as, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we're not you know, we're not professional philosophers. So for me, reading something like this uh, was interesting, if only because it was able to explain those philosophies to me uh, and, and their uh, individual working elements to me in a way that I was able to consume and make sense of, you know, because these are like pretty big ideas. Like they're, well, they're, they're simple ideas with big answers. So, it, like we mentioned when we were describing uh, philosophy comics, you know, they're, they're questions of existence and life and meaning. So I, I do think the comic's ability to explain the thought process of Jean-Paul Sartre uh, over the course of the, I think it was like 92 pages. Uh, I, it, it was engaging stuff where I did find myself reading it and 
stopping from time to time to ponder the various ideas that were being presented to me. Um, I've, I've, I think I've long been uh, at least superficially a fan of the idea of existentialism. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like live an existential life, but uh, it, it, it definitely was a philosophy that uh, spoke to me. So, So uh, it was a philosophy that spoke to me, and um, reading this comic helped me to understand in greater detail what what the the individual elements are. And I want to give a brief description of existentialism for uh, those of you who are listening, just just in case you're not really too clear on uh, what I'm talking about because I haven't really described it. Um, here, I'm going to pull up the definition. Uh, is, uh, existentialism is a tradition of phil philosophical inquiry that explores the nature of existence by emphasizing experience of the human subject, not merely the thinking subject, but acting, feeling, living human individual. Um, uh, in the view of the existentialist, the individual starting point is characterized by what has been called the existentialist angst, or variable, uh, ex or variably existential attitude, also known as dread, or a sense of disorientation, confusion, or anxiety in the face of apparently meaningless, uh, in the face of an apparently meaningless or absurd world. So, I'm, I'll try my best to explain it and if either of you or any of you um, have anything to contribute that would probably better explain it to, to our listeners, um, you know, feel free to interject. But my understanding of it is basically you come to a point in your life where you realize, you know, if essentially if nothing means anything or, or if nothing means if everything means nothing then what is the point of anything I guess is how I would put it um, yeah so so uh, existentialist thought for my understanding is just how do you deal with that meaning in your personal life um, I mentioned earlier that uh, one of the ideas that they discussed was the idea of the other, for example. So this was uh, a concept that I had heard of before, but it wasn't something that I was super familiar with. And uh, again, I'll try my best to explain it, but uh, per my understanding of it, the idea of the other in the comic was, or not even in the comic, but in existential thought is the idea that you are, there is a version of you that is what you think is yourself, but then there's also a version of you that exists in response to other people. And uh, essentially that's my understanding of the other. It's, it's this idea that, well, if you're living your life and you're, 
and you are behaving in a way that somebody outside of yourself sees and they're able to put that limitation on you to define you, then are you truly living for yourself? Um, yeah, so uh, I did think that that was a pretty interesting concept that was uh, added to the comic. Um, yeah, uh, that's, I think that's basically all I have on the subject. I don't know if you guys have any questions or anything. Would you say that this comic uh, has a, a plot or is, is it just a, like a, s a series where every little story is, is really about the rats uh, in the maze discussing? Is it, I don't know, I guess like how is, is it more of a didactic uh, kind of uh, writing or is there a plot that keeps things moving? There, so there's no real plot to it it's it's it really feels like it's a long-form conversation between these two rats an ongoing long-form conversation where they just uh discuss what it means to be alive and <laughs> why you know why do we do the things that we do why do we why is it that i wake up every day chasing this cheese well according to their uh philosophy like you don't have to chase this cheese. There is no reason for you to chase this cheese. You chase this cheese because you tell yourself you want this cheese. But if you alter what it is that you want, then, you know, that has no power over you. At the end of the day, uh, you are everything that you choose to be. Um, another, like, interesting concept that was discussed over the course of the comic was the idea of bad faith. Like, I don't know if any of you guys are, like, too familiar with it, but, um, and feel free to say anything if you are, but um, one of the things that they mentioned was that uh, we as people, or they as rats, rather, uh, they, they live their lives day to day, and there are things that happen to them, and they tell themselves, oh, I am a... I am a victim of circumstance, and because of circumstance, I'm incapable. There are certain things that are outside of my control to uh, to handle. So uh, the idea of bad faith is the idea that that logic is not necessarily true. And, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier, where one of the rats was talking about, I wake up every day, and I want cheese. Or we as people, we wake up every day, we go to work, and we do our jobs. But we do our jobs because we tell ourselves we have no other choice. Because, you know, um, I do this job that I hate because I have no other choice but to do a job that I hate. Because you don't I have want any to other choice things. but to deliver pizza with people's broken fingernails on them? Yeah, exactly. You have to do that. You have I to have do to that deliver out. toenail pizza. Okay, okay. Just want to Otherwise make sure. known as Domino's. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Don't disrespect Domino's, man. Okay, okay. What's a bad one? What's a... <laughs> what, what, what was the one that uh, where, where the guy who, who was the, the owner uh, was caught on tape saying racist stuff? 
Papa, Papa John's? John's? Yeah, I think it was Papa John's. <laughs> so this is like the opposite of product placement. Yeah. <laughs> this is product displacement. Papa yeah. John's is the official uh, punching it's bag the official of... Pizza of... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was it the owner of Papa John's or is it one of the um, franchise... Um... I'm pretty sure it was the owner of Papa John's. Yeah, there was the owner or CEO of... or something. Yeah. Like the, the guy that's in all those commercials, or I guess he yeah. used to be in the commercials. <laughs> All right, well, so I anyways. guess we know who we're not sponsored by now. Yeah. I, don't really watch, I don't really watch TV, so I haven't seen commercials in a long time. <laughs> You're better off. But, <laughs> it, well, so, yeah, so the idea that, um, you, know, you know, people tell themselves, oh, we do these jobs because, you know, what other choice do I have? But, again, um, going back to the original thought, it's you, you can choose – not to be burdened by that is is my understanding of what bad faith is, right? So, or no, rather, my understanding of bad faith is when you tell yourself that you have no other choice, that is bad faith. So when you when you put uh when you tell yourself, I am going to succumb to a certain task or a certain act because I have no other choice because you know the universe has dictated those terms to me. Um, that is not a true statement because you can choose not to feel burdened by this task or you can choose not to feel like you are being held hostage by the circumstances uh, can, is essentially... Can you choose not to do it? You can choose not to do it too. And, and, like, and the thing is, whatever the consequences of that action is, you are choosing to embrace those consequences with the understanding that you accept that those consequences are less bad than the act of doing whatever it is itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so those were like probably the two biggest takeaways or, or ideas that I took away from this comic, but like, they're interesting ideas, if only for the fact that I can. I, I was sitting there contemplating it, uh, you know, as I was reading it. And uh, as far as I can tell, that is, for me, a sign of a good philosophy comic, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I want to be able to read something that makes me think as I'm reading it. And again, like we mentioned earlier, this isn't necessarily anything that's going to that I want to shape me coming out of it. Like I don't want to, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to be a completely different person. But the the food for thought, the uh, the fact that it is making my brain exercise more than it normally would. Is is what is what I want out of a philosophy comic, and that is why I would recommend it. Because you know I can only think about boobs so much. <laughs> <laughs> so so Albert, what what did these rats uh, ultimately decide? Did they decide to chase the cheese or not chase the cheese? And also. Um, how does their existential philosophy 
play into that? And then what sort of, um, I don't want to say takeaway. I mean, obviously you're not like looking for like life lessons from this, but like, I guess like what impact did that have on you? Like what, what resonated most with you about uh, the decisions they made and why they made them? Um, okay. So before I answer that question, I do want to say, I mentioned earlier that it was 92 pages. I was incorrect. It's actually 167 pages. I have it on here in front of me. Um, so uh, the that was a lot of questions, Zach. So I'm I'm like trying to scale it down uh, by answering each individual element. But the the story ends with the rats or the the main rat, the one with the existential dread. Um, you know, it essentially the rat comes to peace with the fact that you know existing means that there are things that I want and but as long as I'm self-aware of these things that I want I can choose how to respond to these things and the story ends with the rat exiting the maze and not only is it uh, a matter of just coming out through the maze on the other end the actual art here shows the as the the rat is formulating these thoughts the rat takes a pencil and draws a door into the maze and the rat has chosen its own exit and it is free. The world is different if we're different is how it ends. So, so uh, um, that's how it ends. That's how the, the rats concluded their uh, story, I guess, if, if, if that's what you call it. What was your other question, Zach? Yeah, so the other question is basically, um, I guess, how, how did that decision, uh, how did that decision resonate with you? Or was there some aspect of it that resonated with you? Basically, kind of like, what was, yeah. what was the reaction to that? What did you think about that? Yeah, yeah uh, and I mentioned earlier that I've, like, I've always been superficially interested in the idea of existentialism. So uh, I will say that reading that ending was something that, that it did speak to me. You know, it was something that reminds you that no matter what the circumstances, how you choose to deal with it is like, that is the one freedom that we have in this world. You know, it's, it is a gift and it is, it is a curse because if I am free to choose, then the responsibility is on me to choose. But you know, the alternative would be for me to give that up completely and to live uh, adrift. And I, me personally, I would rather be aware that I can control my response to these things around me. Maybe there are things in the world, you know, like I can't control the weather or I can't control what other people do, but I can certainly control what I do. I can control my wants and needs. Uh, to whatever degree that I can control them. And uh, yeah, I, I think my, my takeaway from that was it was something that reminded me that I can, it's a matter of perspective is, is what it reminded me, you know? So um, that isn't to say that there aren't going to be days that I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to just be like, man, 
why why is the world so unfair to me or whatever but it but maybe just maybe there'll be a split second pause before i like you know get all debbie downer where i can look at my life and just go you know what it doesn't have to be like this <laughs> all right all right well said well said that makes sense to me yeah um there there was something and like i don't want to like drift away from this comic but by like talking about something else but it it was like too much for me not to not to mention but um there were moments in this comic that uh where i was reading it and i was like man that these moments really jump out at me because they really remind me of um Okay, so this this might be like you know uh, outside baseball for for our listeners or uh, some of our even some of you that don't necessarily know anime too well. But uh, there there was a moment there's a couple moments in the comics where I was like, oh my goodness, this is basically the end sequence from Evangelion. Evangelion, you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah. Neon yeah, Genesis Evangelion. I don't think I've ever seen Evangelion. Okay, so um, I don't want to give away too much, but towards the end of the series, the last like couple of issues, it gets very like uh, I don't know, abstract. I guess maybe metaphysical. I don't mm-hmm. I don't really know how to describe it, but a large portion of the end of the series is just him talking of like pontificating about like. What is what is my what is the point of my existence as and like he's asking himself questions of like if I exist to please other people do I truly exist you know things like that and um, you know what are the limitations in life there's this one sequence in the Evangelion that I remember where uh, they play with the idea that he of him as um, they play the, with the idea of him existing in a vacuum and he's like in this vacuum i can do anything and but uh but if you draw a line on the ground and i and all of a sudden you know you've given the world form but and you know i have a, uh there is something that i can grasp onto now but at the same time you've taken away one element of my freedom because now i have the ground to anchor me you guys remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of that um, that idea that you know, complete freedom, like a hundred percent freedom for a human yeah. being, actually yeah. kind of doesn't exist. I mean, we we do have limited yeah. freedom to make choices and to do certain things, uh, but yeah. we're always limited or bound by the parameters of of reality of whatever you know situation we find ourselves in. Um, right. For instance, like we're we're apart right now. We're on Zoom, so like I'm sitting in my room. Um, I can't choose to jump off a cliff or like sprout wings and fly into the sky because that's, <laughs> that's not physically possible, right? So yeah. there's a range of choices that I can make, and there's a yeah. range of choices that I cannot make. So yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that scene. Yeah, but it was just an interesting scene because the the point of it was it was trying to illustrate the idea that. You know, freedom, like, we, we've we been taught or told that freedom is great, but freedom is a responsibility as well. 
yeah you know so it's it's it is free but it is a burden in and of itself which i which i thought because now that um like one in in, in labyrinth uh one of the things that they were talking about was like you're free to do anything but if you can do anything then what will you do with it and it's yeah i, I thought that was interesting food for thought right like if you know uh let's let's not say that you're free to do anything right because you know taken too literally that's you can jump real high and touch the moon exactly exactly but of the things that you can do that you're free to do like what would you do and there are people who 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 given that option they they don't necessarily use that you know we we all make choices every day but uh, those there there are those that squander those choices or misuse those choices so it's a reminder that you know of of the freedom that you're uh given that not even given that you have intrinsically uh it is your responsibility to do with it what you will and it is on you what the consequences of those are yeah yep that's uh that is my thought and on 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 that particular comic that's true Any... that's true um also the choices that you make um you don't make in a vacuum it does affect other people so there's that to take into consideration as well right so you're not only responsible for that but you're responsible for the effect that your choices may have on someone else yeah yeah i mean that's that's certainly the case uh but again that's your responsibility to do with it what you will yeah Yeah, thanks for sharing about Labyrinth, man. I, that's a comic that I don't really, I'm not familiar with it. Um, I think you said it just came out earlier this year, so it's fairly new. Um, yeah, I was, um, I was, again, I was looking up, I, I read several different philosophy comics before, um, before coming to the podcast today, uh, just, just to give myself, cast as wide a net as possible, just to, you know, uh, so that I could pick the one that I was most personally satisfied with. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I felt that in terms of a philosophy comic, this was the one that met those parameters the best. I wanted something that was, that was specifically about philosophy. Yeah, you know? it, was, like, it was overtly philosophical. I exactly, mean, it had, it exactly. It Sartre in the title. Exactly, right? So um, I, I did have another choice in mind, but and, and it was a, it's a really good comic too, and like I, I, I moved it to, to another place on my list uh, to talk about on another day, but it just I just felt like this wouldn't be an example of a comic where I was trying to draw um, philosophical conclusions any more than um uh, than normal i like i guess 
what I'm saying is like I wanted the work to speak for itself in terms of its uh, its philosophical outlook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks, man. All yeah, right. I definitely want to check that comic out sometime. Yeah, it's it's I finished reading it and it's it's something that I think has reread value. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak for everybody because I don't know how everybody necessarily uh, likes to enjoy their entertainment. So maybe someone could read this once and have no desire to come back to it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I do enjoy uh, it. Like I personally feel like it's something that I could read multiple times and I could probably form and reform uh, my conclusions based on those rereadings. Uh, yeah. So should we move on to the next recommendation? Sure. Zach, what do you All have right. for us? Um, so my recommendation is, well, it's, it's something that I grew up with and seems to be a pretty obvious pick for philosophy comic. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that uh, I would have to speak speak on with a little bit of bias because it's based on pretty much my favorite movie ever. Um, so mine is, mine is the, Drew's already laughing, he already knows what it is. Uh, mine is The Matrix. Um, so there's, there are actually uh, Matrix comics that were published a little bit after uh, the original movies came out. Um, I think there may have been some adaptations as well. The one that I am uh, holding now, the one that I picked the story from is not really an adaptation. They're sort of uh, standalone stories that are based on the world of the Matrix. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a book, it's sort of a, a graphic novel and it's, um, it has uh, a collection of short stories in there um, by a lot of uh, different artists and just really uh, stellar talent uh, throughout the book, actually. There's stuff by Jeff Darrow. There's stuff by Bill Sienkiewicz, um, Neil Gaiman. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I've heard different pronunciations of it. Uh, David uh, Lapham, Lapham as well. Uh, again, not sure about the pronunciation on that, but just, uh, just really big names and lots of really, really good talent. Um, so one of the first reasons I would recommend it is just for that. It's a, uh, it's a feast for the eyes and for the mind. Um, there's a ton of really stellar talent on uh, a story that lends itself to, uh, you know, just a lot of thought provoking uh, issues and a lot of uh, sort of, sort of mind bending stories. Um, just like actually there is that uh, Animatrix film that came out a little while uh, after that. And that was a bunch of uh, short, like animated shorts based on based on the movie. Um, lots of really good talent on that as well. You know, so if you enjoy um, the movie uh, and if you enjoy the world of The Matrix and you wanna explore sort of extensions or, uh, or uh, you know, just different aspects of the thoughts and thought processes in the uh, film, uh, definitely a comic is, is a good read. It's a good thing to pick up. Um, so, Obviously, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Uh, I did pick out one short story from there that I thought really encapsulated the, the spirit and the ideas or some of the main ideas in The Matrix, um, maybe more so than, than some 
some of the other stories in the book. They're all good. Definitely, if you pick it up, just read them all. Um, the one I picked, though, was, uh, it's called Butterfly. Uh, before you continue there, I was curious, was it just one trade pair? I thought there were two graphic novels they did. For uh, the Matrix comics? Yeah. Yeah, I think you may be right. Um, so I have, I don't know, I have maybe the first one. I think it's the first one they did. Because I remember, I, cause I remember picking up two myself back when they came out. But mm. yeah, I remember there were two. I don't know if, how easy it is to find them nowadays, though. They might be out of. I don't know if they're out of print or if they're still available. I haven't looked. Yeah, it's true. They're they're kind of old. So the one I have is from uh, Burly Man Entertainment. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're still in print. Yeah, Burley Man, I think, was uh, the Wachowski's own comic book publishing company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do you want to go on? Sorry, what's that, Drew? Oh, you you want to continue uh, sharing about what you were about to say? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Shanus, I know you're uh, looking that up, so, you know, if you want, maybe just hop in at some point and let us know if there's if there's two of these things or not. There were there were two, and then they released in 2019 a twentieth um, a 20th anniversary hardcover that collected of both of them. It seems. Oh, nice! Nice, nice. It's still in print, but on Amazon it's at full price. So there's no discount there. Hmm. I mean, it's yeah, like, it's not in still in print, but I guess Amazon still has some in stock. But got it, got it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'll pick that up one of these days. There's also like a Matrix like art book that was out for a while. Um, I don't know. I thought about buying it, but it was a little bit expensive. I was in college still at the time. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so the story that I chose was uh, called Butterfly by uh, Dave Gibbons of, of Watchmen fame. Nice. Um, <laughs> exactly. He's Dave Gibbons is definitely one of my favorites. Um, that guy is just... He's just talented, man. He is uh, a stellar uh, storyteller. Um, obviously, a really great artist, really great draftsman. Um, I mentioned a second ago, you know, if anyone uh, hasn't read Watchmen, that's another work that he's really well known for. Um, definitely, definitely another book to pick up and check out. Uh, obviously, this one is not about Watchmen, but it's if you haven't read it, you should. Um, I think he worked on uh, 2000 AD at some point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the originals for DC and uh, Vertigo. Yeah, that was one of his own. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's a seasoned pro. He's been doing this a long time. He's, he's very talented at it. So the story, uh, Butterfly, just to give you a brief synopsis, and it is a very brief synopsis. I think the story itself is literally maybe like two sentences. Um, it's based on a, a brief story or parable, I guess, um, by a Taoist. And forgive me if I'm pronouncing the name just completely messed up. Uh, I am really, really bad at pronouncing Chinese names. It looks like Chuang, Chuang, Zhu, Chuang Zhu, something like that. Um, C-H-U-A-N-G-T-Z-U. So, you know, pronounce that how you will. But basically, it starts out, uh, Chuang Tzu had a dream. In the dream, um, he was a butterfly, and he was experiencing 
being a butterfly and fluttering around and you know he was very uh, happy in his dream and then he woke up and you know he realized that he was awake but the question that he asked himself immediately afterwards is well was I a man dreaming I was a butterfly or was I a butterfly dreaming I was a man <laughs> and so the story ends um, let me see if I can just read the last sentence for you it says uh, in truth Chuang Tzu was neither man nor butterfly, and yet was both. So uh, in typical Matrix fashion, there's, there's a bending of reality. There's sort of a, a bending of that experience of identity. Um, but also there's sort of a, a deeper thread that runs through the story. So those are essentially the two sentences or two ideas that make up the story. And it's taken from that, that ancient uh, Chuang Tzu story. Um, so what's actually going on on the pages though, is there's a parallel, uh, between this man that looks like he's in, I guess, sort of, sort of a, a dojo setting or a home setting, like, a he's, uh, gardening and he, there's a big wide floor and then there's the mats and everything. And he looks like he's, uh, paying his respects to, to his ancestors. So that's one scene and of course there's a there's a butterfly floating around um throughout the story and there's this single there's this lone butterfly that's that's in the place with him um so that's one set of images in the story and it's juxtaposed with the other set of images that is basically um this guy <laughs> running around uh you know they're in the matrix he's running around and he's running from the agents it's basically a shootout and it's on the move they're trying to catch him, they're trying to kill him. Um, so the, the sentences or the words are broke up, broken up over a series of pages. And it's, um, as the story is told, it's sort of juxtaposing these two scenes or these two sequences with, with each other. So the two sequences coalesce, they all come together uh, near the end when the man who's running from the agents crashes through this guy's window, uh, you know, and they chase him in there. They're going to, they're going to shoot him. Um, so there's this big shootout with this guy uh, who it, apparently it's, it's his home or it's his place that they're busted into. Um, he's, he kind of calmly watches all this. And uh, you know, the, the person is like headed to the phone. He wants to get to the phone to, to get out of the matrix. And so the man sacrifices himself so that the guy can get to the phone. Um, the agents shoot him. He winds up dead. But the last couple of panels, of course, are uh, he, he sort of blinks uh, out or he, his eye closes. There's blackness. Um, then there's a white panel. And then you see uh, the wings of the butterfly. And the butterfly is like sitting on his face. And then it sort of, you know, is sort of like flutters and then flies off and flies out the window. Um, so in typical Dave Gibbons fashion, uh, he is, he's really skillfully used uh, the visual art form to sort of, uh, to sort of drag out some much more profound truths. Um, so the butterfly in the story kind of, it's almost kind of a symbol for, for life or for the, I guess, the spirit or the life force in an individual. 
like if you think about what a butterfly is or what it does, right? Like it starts off as a caterpillar, goes into a cocoon, undergoes metamorphosis, comes out as a butterfly. Um, you see kind of a parallel with the character as he develops, dies, and then at the end of the story, you see the butterfly fly off with those last few lines where it says, um, in truth, he was neither man nor butterfly, and yet was both. So there's this idea of, um, it kind of starts out with an idea of dualism, which is a type of philosophy. I guess you could say almost like a, a mind-body dualism or the kind of thing that the ancient Gnostics would have believed in. Um, you know, there's a spirit and then there's the body and the spirit is good, the body is evil, and it is the, it is the goal of, you know, the spirit to sort of be, be free of the body, right? Um, so you have sort of a dichotomy, um, kind of two things that are opposed to each other. Uh, but in the end, it sort of pulls everything together and there's this idea of the spirit or the soul itself transcending form, transcending any sort of form, as in it's sort of... Uh, everywhere or it's sort of in everything at once um and that's that gets into a lot of like you know hinduism and, and eastern philosophy uh things like uh i don't know things like brahman and things like um a lot of things from taoism so you know it sort of starts in one area and then and then moves through a spectrum again much like much like the film much like the matrix and the whole series of films um, it starts um, at one point and then moves progressively to another point. Uh, and again, it's the story that's told, like the actual story that it's based on uh, is classic. Like it's, it's one of those ancient proverb type things that lots of people have spent, you know, many, many years in, in much ink uh, trying to understand. Um, also the way that the artist juxtaposes the the two the two uh chains of events um in film there's what's called or what would be called like a match cut on the first two pages i may try and submit those later on drew so you can post them and people can see what i'm talking about sweet uh, yes but there's a there's a uh what's usually called a match cut between those first two images so the first two images you see are actually um you know, like the, the, I forget what they're called, like the robots or whatever. And they're in the area where the humans are being harvested. And then it cuts immediately to this butterfly that's, uh, that's, you know, fluttering around some plants and stuff. And there's water because the guy's watering the plants. So instantly, you're, he's sort of encapsulating a juxtaposition between um, life and death or this sort of cold mechanical world that is antithetical to human existence. And then um, this other peaceful world that's like full of life and everything that, that humans would normally need to thrive. Uh, so there's, there's that layer of the story. So there's many, many actually different layers that go into just this one little short uh, microcosm or this one little short uh, outtake of of this this instance from like the Matrix world, uh, so I thought 
for this one, that would be a really good pick because it's such a complete and such a skillful encapsulation of, of uh, a lot of the philosophy that you found or that you find woven throughout the films and uh, woven throughout the world. Yeah, it, it also sounds like this, uh, the Dave Gibbons story was done in a really elegant manner, like not, not a preachy kind of story, but just something, it sounds like the, from the way you described it, it, it sounds more meditative and like something that you could read a couple times in order to, to just kind of ponder on the message of it. Yeah, yeah, actually there's no dialogue. Um, it's just, he, he takes the, the Chuangzu uh, story and it's actually written in the side, like on the sides of the panels. Um, so to give you a quick example, the other thing is he's, he's working on a grid and the, he uses the grid to actually pace the story, which again, it's a Dave Gibbons thing. Like I see that in Watchmen and a lot of his other work. That's, that's part of his style and the way that he works, but he's so skillful at how he controls, um, the amount of time that he wants you to spend on each beat. I, I had to stop and appreciate that. But yeah, going back to, uh, the thing I was saying about the dialogue. So there's no actual dialogue. Um, there's the there's just the story that's written on the sides of these panels. And again, I can submit some images so so you know people can see. But it says um, Chuangzu had a dream, and so that's one set. That would be like an eight panel set on this grid. But of course, you know there's first four panels, and then there's another panel, and then the second set is uh, in the dream he was a butterfly. And so he's sort of, it's almost like taking a haiku apart and sort of meditating on each line or each part of it. And so each little stanza that he breaks up, uh, he uses that to pace out how he tells the story. So the story is told over, I don't know, it looks like maybe uh, eight, nine, maybe 10 pages. Uh, it's, it's a really short one, but he, he times it out and he just, uh, Every, every line is sort of measured um, pretty precisely. So that's another thing that gave me pretty deep appreciation for this. Yeah, it sounds uh, poetic as well as philosophical. Yeah, not, not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it, it feels like a philosophical works. I don't know, it just feels like philo philosophical works uh, probably more scholarly or academic or, or dry. So I do appreciate how fiction can present philosophical ideas in a way that's a lot easier to digest than just reading something completely didactic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even, even the Matrix itself really plays with that idea of, you know, Plato's cave or like the, the whole brain in a vat type theory. Um, a lot of a lot of Descartes type stuff, you know, like how do we how do we know if we're awake or if we're asleep? How do we know what reality really is? Uh, it's kind of like what Morpheus says in the first one, right? Like mm -hmm. if someone is just feeding your brain impulses that seem like reality, how would you ever be able to distinguish the real world from the fake one? Um, again, this this story really plays on that. It's it's that same sense of, well, am I who I thought I was? And how would I know if I wasn't? 
you know? Yeah. I mean, like, like Drew was saying, I, a, a lot of philosophy I think is best delivered through an allegory just because you, you could read those true philosophical works, which um, take a, you know, a logical perspective of like, here are my basic ideas. Now I'm going to build up my world of thought based on that. Um, but like I said, it, it's dry and it doesn't necessarily highlight or connect to why is this something that somebody would want to think about? But the idea of a person think, imagining you're saying that he had dreamed he was a butterfly, you know, reflects back like, well, let's say that butterfly wasn't dreaming that I was that I myself, you know. And seeing it through a story like that, you're kind of saying, okay, I can see how this is being presented. Like, like I said, it's meditative. It's not it's not dictating that this is the truth. It's just thing. Consider this as a possibility, and in a world where, as a reader or audience, we're aware that these are minds locked in a fictitious, you know, digital world how would they know the difference exactly exactly i remember um actually after i worked, watched the uh, first film my best friend um you know we were walking out of the theater <laughs> and he was like we were just teenagers at the time too but we were walking out of the theater and he's like but dude what if it's real i'm like get out of here man like it's not he's like yeah yeah but but how would you know and i'm just like oh shut up here we go <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's that kind of thing it, it makes you question um and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable it, it makes you wrestle with it a little bit uh, and I, I really really enjoy that because it really makes you question and critically think about you know how how do we construct our sense of reality and our sense of self and do those things really have the value that we place on them you know um yeah there's there's a lot to be said obviously but yeah i just i, I enjoy stuff like that and same with like um a lot of philip k dick stories they have that sort of i don't know that sort of uh dreamlike or like questioning reality kind of quality to them as well which yeah i guess that's that's a big uh theme that sort of draws me were you gonna say something albert uh, no, I was just taking it all in and, you know, uh, forming my own philosophical thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't really have anything to contribute. I was just, uh, this isn't a work that I'm, uh, familiar with. So, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like you guys said it all better than I could have possibly added. Thanks for listening to Between the Gutters. In our next episode, we'll continue with the second half of our Philosophy Comics recommendations. We'll hear from me, and we'll also hear from Shanus. So stay tuned. Appreciate you all. Peace out.